So Holy Spirit, please take my words, the thoughts we're going to think, those words from Scripture, help us know how we can put them into practice in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. It's great to have you with us, as well as those of you in this room. I recently heard about a website that is for newly pregnant moms, written by a man, oddly enough. And the first question is this, I'm two months pregnant, when will my baby move? Answer, with any luck, right after he finishes college. <laughs> I think that kind of gets at a lot of family dynamics, don't you think? A, a lot of dynamics around, you know, fears, questions we have around families, you know, how do we get along with our parents once we're adults? This fall, we're doing a sermon series on how Jesus revives a lot of things. Marriages, people out of poverty, a sense of excitement in us. But one of the big things that Jesus revives is families. The passage that Doug just read for us today is, is about the birth of John the Baptist, whose job it was to announce that God himself was bringing revival in the person of Jesus. And also, according to the text, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that verse is a direct quote out of the very last lines of the Old Testament, where God through the prophet Malachi says, I will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. So the Old Testament ends and the New Testament, the beginning of God's revival in Jesus, begins with a promise that God will revive all things with a focus on families. This, I did not do that on purpose. I just realized where I focus on the family. I didn't, that was not a plug, with a uh, emphasis on families. This is the meaning this is really important to God. This is something that is crucial. And I think this is a topic that affects all of us, doesn't it? Because we're all in some kind of family. Some of us had great parents who we celebrate. Some of us had parents who hurt us, hurt us very badly, and we don't know how to heal from that and deal with that. Some of us are parents and we have adult children. Some of us are currently raising children and we're just plain old confused. And none of us, none of us have perfect families. Now, if it makes you feel any better, there are no perfect families in the Bible either. They're all a mess. Trust me, a bigger mess than your family can possibly be. Last year, our oldest daughter was in seventh grade and she started going to our youth group. And the first night she was there, we forgot to pick her up. I mean, we were just used to a different schedule, and so we just kind of forgot. Finally, the youth staff had to call us, and when I got there, I mean, there's my daughter with this whole, the whole youth staff, and you know they love that, right? <laughs> oh, the boss forgot to pick up his kid, right? You know, Jesse Rice said, oh, I am so telling this story the next time I preach, which he did. But wait, it gets worse. Worse even than that, because about a month later, we forgot her again. Same thing. She called, and we heard this sad voice come over the answering machine. Have you forgotten me again? <laughs> so the following week as she was leaving for youth group, she put an alarm clock on the table and said, when it goes off, come and get me. <laughs> Had to parent herself, the poor kid. None of us have perfect families, starting with the pastor. But Jesus can revive broken families. And even if we are in good families, many of us are in good families, with Jesus there's always more and he can make it better. And that's the promise of today's scripture. And the phrasing is very interesting. It says, turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. That is, revival of families isn't so much a matter of being a perfect parent or having the perfect parenting technique. It's simpler than that, actually. 
It's a relational deal. It's just about turning our hearts toward one another. A few years ago, our youth staff had the high schoolers complete the following sentence, I wish my parents knew. And then they had parents fill in the same sentence. Now, here are some of the things our high schoolers wrote down. I wish my parents knew that I feel lonely and really want you to spend more time with me. I wish my parents knew that I think you're amazing parents. I wish they knew that I have girl issues and I don't know how to ask you for what I need. I wish they knew how annoying my brother is behind their back. I wish, I, I wish they knew that I hate how I look and sometimes it makes me think about killing myself and I don't think they'd understand. Then here's how some of the parents responded to a similar question. I wish my son and daughter knew that I am proud of him and I love being with him and I regret not saying that more. I wish, I wish my son knew that he can achieve anything he wants, but I worry he'll waste his gifts if I don't push him. I wish they knew how frightening it is to be a parent. I know you need to make your mistakes and learn, but it's like watching you walk on a tightrope 100 feet in the air with no net. There's just a ton of pain in those answers. I think it all comes down to the same thing. It's wanting to be more deeply connected, wanting a deeper relationship, wanting to turn our hearts toward one another. So how do we do that? How do we turn our hearts toward our children and toward our parents? I could do 10 sermons on that. So all I can do here is give some general principles. But I want to start with how do parents turn their hearts toward their children, even if their children are grown and out of the house. And if you don't have kids, listen to this for ways maybe you can have a better relationship with your parents. Or, you know, or maybe you have nieces or nephews or grandkids, or you're a coach or a teacher or a youth worker, or you're in high school and you know a junior higher. All of us have someone young in our lives. And in order to turn our hearts toward the youth in our lives, we need to give them three things. And the first is this. Give them your heart for them. And here's what I mean by that. We are in such an achievement culture that it is very easy for our kids, whether they're still at home or grown up and adults, to feel the pressure to achieve and succeed or else. In our youth group, it is not uncommon for our youth staff to hear uh, our teens say things like this, I guess my mom and dad love me, I'm not really sure, but I'm not sure they would or be proud of me if I quit football. I mean, it is not uncommon to hear stuff like that. It's not uncommon to hear that from adults. I guess they love me, but I, I, don't, I don't know. And if I don't have this job or whatever, would they? Right? And it's very easy for our youth to start to wonder, does the coach value me for me or just because I'm a good athlete? Or do my parents value me for me or because I'm an extension of their life plan? And guys, if we're honest, sometimes that is how we see our kids, isn't it? If we just get real honest with ourselves, even the fact that these days we decide when we'll have kids based on our life plan, which is fine, but if we're not careful, that can turn into our kids simply become an extension of our life plan. And we know the plans we have for them, don't we? Right? All kinds of plans that will reflect well on us because we think how they behave and act and achieve reflects on us. I mean, think of John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Right? I mean, he grew up to be a prophet and he lived in the wilderness. He never cut his hair. He ate wild locusts. Okay, are your kids eating grasshoppers? Okay, you're, you're ahead of John the Baptist's parents. Right? You can just imagine their conversations. Oh, Liz, how's this kid ever going to get a real job or find someone to marry him? He smells like a camel. Oh, I know, Zechariah. I'm just trying to get him to quit eating locusts. Oh, I'm a failure as a mother. They could easily have felt like he disappointed their life plan, or they could have given them their heart for him just as he was. 
when I was thinking about switching careers from instructor at Stanford to being a pastor, I was having a hard time doing it for a couple reasons, one of which was, what would my parents think? Now, at no point had my parents ever said that I had to have a certain job for them to be proud of me. They'd never said that. But it's just in the air of our culture, and so I wondered. Plus, I mean, you know, I was an instructor at Stanford. I knew they were proud of that. I mean, them some good bragging rights at the Qantas Club, right? So one day I was talking to them on the phone, and, and I said, how would you feel if I was a pastor? You'd lose your bragging rights at the Kiwanis Club. And my dad said, you know what? We're going to be proud of you no matter what you do. But to be honest, we'd be a little more proud of you if you were a pastor. Because we've always thought that's who God has made you to be. That's just who you are. Now, I knew they'd say something like that, but I just needed to hear it. Even at 36 years old, I needed to hear it. He shared his heart for me with me. In fact, there are four things our kids need to hear, whether they're still at home or whether they're grown. Or maybe it's not even your kid. Maybe it's someone you mentor or coach. They need to hear four things from the adults in their lives. I love you. I'm proud of you. You are good at, and then fill in what they're good at, and I'm sorry when that's appropriate. I love you. I'm proud of you. You are good at, I'm sorry. Now, you got to do that naturally and authentically, right? So don't leave here today and go home, especially if you have teenagers. and go, Don't go home and say, okay, I heard the sermon today, and I know that you need me to give, me, you, you know, give you my heart, and, and, and that even when you say leave me alone, what you're really saying is I long for a safe place. So here, let's share our feelings. I'm your shelter from the storm. Okay, if you have teenagers at home, try it. It'll be fun. No, it's got to be natural. It's got to be authentic as it arises in everyday life. So the other thing we've got to give them is we've got to be spending time with them and lots of it just to be with them. And we've got to be having fun together. Since my kids were two years old, I have taken them to breakfast most Saturdays just to keep the lines of communication open. Last year, we went to Hawaii and spent the days body surfing. And when I am a very, very old man, I will remember the sound of their laughter as they rode the waves. Give them your time and your heart for them. Second, give them your training. And here's what I mean by that. Proverbs says, raise children up in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. Now, the Hebrew there actually means raise them up according to their bent, according to the way that they were designed. And this is very important because sometimes I think we try to turn our children into athletes when God has designed them to maybe be a musician or turn them into students when God has maybe designed them to be a people person. Does your child have the spiritual gift of rebellion? <laughs> Properly directed, that can be awesome. As they rebel against what the culture tells them to do and follow the greatest rebel of all history named Jesus. You know, a lot of times we say things like, well, I just want my kids to be happy and achieve their potential. But often what we define as their best is actually what we think is best, often based on what the culture thinks is best. Our job as parents, grandparents, mentors, youth workers is to partner with God to launch godly men and women into the world to be part of his rescue mission and to partner with God to help them become who he created them to be. And neither underparent nor overparent as we do that. And I'm just, as an aside, I've got to be honest, guys. One of the, maybe one of the biggest things I see in counseling with couples and families and you know, is a lot of problems in marriages and families is caused by overparenting in this community. For instance, kids who are a year or older still needing mom and dad in the bedroom to get them to sleep at night. 
And so mom and dad aren't connecting and the marriage is strained because of it rather than helping that child learn to self-soothe, which as it turns out is a skill they're going to need for the rest of their lives. And because more than anything else, your kids need you to have a good marriage. Now I say that knowing that some of us in this room are divorced. That's, there's no judgment here. Sometimes that happens, right? And there's second chances. But if you're married, your marriage comes first. I see overparenting in all kinds of activities that all the kids feel pressured to do, often from mom and dad, to get into college and be well-rounded and all of that. But here's the thing, if they're too busy, if there's no time to have dinner together as a family at least three or four times a week, spells trouble. Because all the research shows that families who eat together regularly, the kids feel more secure, they get in less trouble, they're happier families. Now, sometimes it's not the parents pressuring the kids to do all those activities. It's the culture or it's just the kids. And here's where we can't underparent, because we then got to help them how to choose between many good options. Otherwise, we will raise stressed out adults who can't say no to anything. Not that that's ever a problem in this community, just saying, theoretically. And I know I'm meddling, so if it makes you feel any better, I am not perfect at this and neither is my wife. One of the sports my son does is swimming. And there's this one big meet where he really wanted to do well, and I really wanted him to do well, for his sake, you understand, right? <laughs> Nothing to do with dad's ego wasn't in there at all. No, 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 no. But he wasn't having his best day, and he started to get upset. And at one point, I'd gone to get some food, and when I came back, I heard my wife say words no husband wants to hear. You need to deal with your son. <laughs> when it's your son, you know there's a real problem. Right? So I thought, I can fix this, I can fix this, right? So I sat down and I said, but your problem is you're not getting off the blocks fast enough and you're turning your head a little too much when you breathe and your stroke's not quite as smooth as it could be. And other things that shockingly turned out not to be helpful. <laughs> but then the Holy Spirit kind of nudged me and I just put my arm around him and I said, what are you feeling? And he said, bad. I said, let's expand on that bad how? And as we talked, it turns out he just felt bad that he wasn't doing what he thought was his best. So I said, listen, bud, I want you to know I love you and I am proud of you no matter what times you get at this meet. I just want you to keep trying because this isn't about winning or losing. And he said, I know, it's about what kind of man I'm going to become. Because <laughs> I always say that, right? And I said, yes, it's about what kind of man you're going to become. It's about how you keep trying, even when, when it's hard, and even when you're scared, so you develop courage. And it's about feeling good about yourself, not because of what you achieve, but because I love you, and your mother loves you, and God loves you, and your sisters, well, God loves you. <laughs> and your sisters in their own kind of a way, right? And then I just sat there with my arm around him, and we talked. In fact, someone took a picture of us as we were talking. I love that picture. I love that picture because I love that moment. Just me and my son sharing our hearts just together. And he went on to have a great meet. And on the way home, I said, I'm proud of you. You know why? And he said, because I kept swimming even though I was upset. And I said, that's it. It's about who you're becoming. Listen, it's not about what they achieve. It's about who they become. And our job as parents, grandparents, mentors, all of that is to partner with God to help them become someone, not something. Give them your heart. Give them your training. And finally, give them to Jesus. Emblazon this on your mind. They are not your children. They belong to God. 
and we are just the temporary stewards, which means we pray for them regularly, pray with them. We let them see our relationship with Jesus. I know a woman who says one of the most impactful things in life for her was as a little kid getting up early and seeing her mom at prayer. Give them your heart. Give them your training. Give them to Jesus. Tons more I could say. Let me just, for more specifics on this, two resources that are available. First, the class we're going to be doing here Sunday morning starts today, right? Loving our teens on purpose. If you are a grandparent, a coach, a mentor, a youth worker, a parent, get yourself there. It's good material. Second, men's fraternity. This is one of the many things we talk about, guys, is parenting, and it's not too late to join us on Wednesdays. Turn our hearts toward our kids. Okay, let me go to the other side of this just briefly and finish the sermon. How can children turn their hearts toward their parents? Even those of us who are adults, how can we, which is most of us, how can we turn our hearts toward our children? Again, three quick things. First, give them your thanks and respect. Even if you had parents who wounded you, chances are they did at least one or two things right. And part of letting go of the anger and the hurt is to thank them for what they did right. And also respect them. Now, that doesn't mean you always agree with them, but treat them with respect and, and then, and then quest, ask them questions about their life and treat them like they were you know, whole people, not just my parents, and give them your respect. This summer, we were at my parents' house, and my parents were watching Wheel of Fortune, and my kids were fascinated by Vanna White. She's the woman who turns the letters on Wheel of Fortune, right? And they just couldn't figure out how that was a job, indeed. And so my daughter asked, you know, Dad, does she make more money than you? And I said, oh, she probably makes a lot more money than me, right? And my daughter said, what? But she's way more useless than you are. <laughs> Want to rephrase that? I did not feel respected. Give them your thanks and your respect. Second, give them your forgiveness. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't hurt you. They did. Nor does it mean you allow them to keep hurting you. But to forgive them means being able to say, at least in your heart, Mom, Dad, you probably did the best you could. Given, you know, with your hurts, with your upbringing, all the baggage you had, you did the best you could with what you had, and I'm going to let the rest go. Now, ideally, you would have that conversation face-to-face, -face, but sometimes that's not possible, either because they're dead or because they aren't able to have that conversation in a healthy way. You can still do it in your heart. I know a lot of people who in prayer have asked Jesus to heal them of their hurts, to help them see their parents as God sees them. Sometimes writing a letter that you never send or going to our inner healing prayer ministry can help you. Give them your thanks, give them your forgiveness, and finally, give them to Jesus. It's only through Jesus that families are really revived because Jesus helps us experience the love of God, our true Father. And when we feel his love for us, it's easier to love both our kids and our parents. There's a man I'll call Tom who had a strained relationship with his dad. Tom's dad owned a mechanics shop and really wanted Tom to go into that business, but Tom wanted to be a doctor. And Tom's dad just wasn't super loving toward him all the way through his life. One time when he was in college, Tom got so angry at his dad, he said, what do you know? You're just a dumb mechanic. Now, they were able to kind of work through that, but it was always, always strained. Well, one day, Tom, who is now in his late 40s, was talking with some of the men in his Bible study, and a friend said, you know what, you need, to, you need to cancel your appointment next week and fly to Cincinnati where your dad lives and just spend time with him. And Tom said, I, I, I'm too busy. But the friend kept pushing. Tom prayed on it, felt Jesus nudging him to do that. 
Plus, Tom had been getting a lot closer to God in his faith and had begun experiencing God's love. He knew that he was a son of the Most High King, and feeling that love made it easier to love his dad. So he called his dad, and he said, Hey, Dad, this is Tom. And his dad did the typical thing. He said, Oh, oh, here, let me get your mother. That ever happened in any of your families? And Tom said, No, Dad, I want to talk to you. I want to come and spend time with you. How about we go fishing for a couple of days? His dad protested, too busy. Tom kept pushing. Finally, they, they, he agreed to do it. And they went, and they had a great time. Now, they didn't have a ton of life-changing conversations, just two moments, two little moments. At one point, Tom said to his dad, remember when I called you a dumb mechanic? In his dad's eyes, he could see him getting kind of watery, and his dad said, yeah, that one hurt. And Tom said, Dad, I didn't mean it. I was young. I want you to know I am proud of what you have accomplished in your life. And then later, as they were driving home, Tom's dad reached over just for a minute, just kind of grabbed his shoulder and shook it and said, thanks, this was a great trip. Thanks for making it happen. That was it. Well, about a month later, Tom got a letter from his dad. And this is what the letter said. Dear Tom, thank you again for putting that trip together. It was so much fun. I also want you to know that I love you more than you'll ever know. And I am so proud of you, of your compassion for people and your determination to do anything to have a good marriage. Wherever I go, I tell people my son is a doctor and he saves lives. I also want to say that I have many hurts and many regrets in life, but the deepest regret I have is when I have hurt you with stupid and foolish words. Please erase those words. They were not from my heart. I remember when you were small, one night you were scared, and so you came into our room and pushed on my shoulder and said, Dad, are you awake? I was when you did that. And you said, I'm scared. Can I sleep in here? And I said, yes. And you got up into our bed with us, and then you said, Dad, it's dark. I can't see. Is your face turned toward me? And I said, yes. And then you went to sleep. Tom, I just want you to know, my face is still turned toward you, and it always will be. Love, Dad. Healing, reconciliation, revival. They gave each other their hearts, gave their forgiveness. They gave each other to Jesus. Tom prayed a ton about this trip, and there was revival. So where might Jesus want to move and work in your family, and how might he want to do that? Even if you have a great family, many of us do, he can make it even better. Spend time with your kids or with your parents. Pray together if you can. Give them your heart. Give them your training. Give them your thanks. Give them your forgiveness, but mostly give them to Jesus. Jesus, who can revive anything. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who came to show us the Father's love. And ultimately what healed Tom and his dad was an experience of God's love. Right? When we experience it, it's just easier to love others. So will you pray, Father, Help me to feel your love. Help me to experience it. Pray to your Father in heaven and ask him that. Your Father in heaven who says to you, I know that you have not been the perfect parent. I never asked you to be. Just that you be faithful and honor your children. And I know that your parents may have hurt you. That was not what I wanted for you. But I am your true Father. And I am proud of you. And I have made you good at many things. You are my daughter. You are my son. And in you, I am well pleased. And I will heal your pain. And I will make you whole. And I will give you joy. I am your true father. And you have no idea. You have no idea. You cannot possibly have any idea how much I love you. So, Father in heaven, those are the words that heal. And only those words heal. 
So we ask that you would help us to feel your love all the way deep down, not just in our heads, but all the way in our hearts, so that we can be revived and so that we can love the people you've given us to love in our families. Lord, empower us to do this through your mighty love for us, and we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.